in our previous two Lord's Days together, we've been letting the Apostle Peter give us some specific Spirit-inspired application to the Apostle Paul's appeal in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he appeals to them that there would be no divisions among them, that they would be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. We're, we're answering the question, okay, we see what you're saying, now how might we go about it? And we're, we're letting the Apostle Peter uh, synthesize with the Apostle Paul and teach us. And, and what we've said so far is that if we are as a congregation to obtain and maintain unity amongst us, then there must be first a unity of mind, a common corporate quest into the Word of God to study and, and ask, what are we to believe and how are we to live? From the Scriptures, what does the Word of God say? We begin there. If, if we will all join in that quest together, there will be unity. It might take time and and some will come along faster than others. But, but if, we, if we've all got our noses in the same book, seeking after the same truth, there's no way that anything else could happen except that as, throughout our lives we are brought closer and closer together. Not perfectly. That won't be until glory. But we will grow together in unity. And, and the second thing we saw from 1 Peter 3.8 was sympathy. We have to have sympathy with one another, a willingness to enter into the feelings of our fellow church members in all things so that we were, were actually capable and willing to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, that we, we act upon that, that shared bond between us in sympathy. Now, today we're looking at the third application from 1 Peter 3.8, which is brotherly love. Peter writes, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. Now, I want to say from the outset, there's no biblical term for sisterly love. But sisterly love is assumed and implied in the term brotherly love. You know, in, in Scripture, the term brother is, is used universally um, in many places, in most places, to refer to both males and females, those who belong to God. And so as, as we go forward, when I say brotherly or brotherly love, I'm going to try to slide sisters in there as often as I can so that you don't feel left out. But if I just say brotherly love, know that I'm referring to that love that exists between males and females who are the people of God. Brotherly love. In, in the Greek language, this is actually one word made up of two words. The first word is uh, adelphos, which we would, we would translate as, as brother. And then uh, phileo, often translated love. When you put them together, you get philadelpho, which means brotherly love. The type of love or a, a, a special affinity for one another that is similar to that which would be shared by biological brothers or siblings. Biological brothers or brothers and sisters, any siblings who grow up in the same home together, over time develop a fondness between themselves, a closeness to one another that differs in degree and in kind from anything else they will share with anyone else. Uh, brothers or sisters or brothers and sisters, siblings, over time they know one another in a way that nobody else knows them. They often know things about one another that nobody else knows. They share experiences with one another that no one else shares. They have a relationship with all of its ups and downs, highs and lows, good times and bad times, they have a relationship, siblings do, that's the, the only way to describe it is different. It's just plain different from anything else that anybody else has or that they might have with somebody else. You say, well, why is that? Well, it's because they're brothers. That's what brotherly love, sisterly love, sibling love... That's what it is. It, it can only be shared by brothers, sisters, siblings. It's just different. Now, 
When we come over into the scriptures to this command to exercise brotherly love toward our brothers and sisters in Christ, the Holy Spirit is not saying, try to recreate that biological relationship with people who are not biological siblings. He's not saying recreate that kind of thing. This is a completely different, all, altogether different relationship in itself. The idea is that we have a relationship with other saints on a spiritual level, just like with our natural siblings. It's unlike anything else that can be created in the world. There's nothing like it. Again, it's just different. We share a bond with our brothers and sisters in Christ with all of its highs and lows, ups and downs, good times, bad times. That's different than the relationship we have with anyone else precisely because we are spiritual siblings with them. Those who don't belong to Christ, they're not our spiritual siblings. We cannot have that relationship with them but we do have it with one another. You see, it's altogether different. But here it's, we're talking about a spiritual relationship. It's not biological. It's spiritual. So if we are going to obtain and maintain unity, then we have to develop in ourselves or act toward one another with brotherly love. Now let me give you a definition of brotherly love. It's, I don't want you to listen and, and feel like the entire time you're trying to nail jello to the wall. I want to give you at least some conception of what I mean when I say brotherly love and what I think the Bible teaches. Brotherly love is a spirit-born affection for other Christians stemming from our shared relation to God as Father and Christ as brother, producing in us a willingness to give our lives for the well-being of their souls. A spirit-born affection for one another, for other Christians, stemming from our shared relationship to God as Father and Christ as brother, producing in us a willingness to give ourselves for the well-being of their souls. I say it's spirit-born because it's the product of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Nobody who's not been born of God can have brotherly love. In this sense, it's a product of the work of the Holy Spirit. I say it is an affection for other Christians. An affection, an inward feeling of endearment, of warmth, of closeness, of attachment to other Christians, other saints. Now, for our purposes specifically, I want you to think in terms of the saints in this room, our brothers and sisters here even though this would apply across the board to all Christians. It stems from our shared relation to God as Father and Christ as brother. It, it, is, it is founded upon our mutual relationship to God. And then it flows in and through us to one another. And it produces in us a willingness to give our lives for the well-being of their souls. This inward feeling and attachment that we have with our brothers and sisters, it will cause us to at least be willing to act for their souls, the souls of our brothers and sisters. It's not just affectionate. It's not just warm, fuzzy feelings. It's action. It will produce action. At the same time, it's not just action. It's not just doing things. It's affectionate. It, there's a tender moving of the inward parts for our brothers and sisters. This brotherly love is, is not just because we all happen to arrive at the same place on the same time, on the same day every week, and since we're here, we might as well get along. No, it's because we share a father and we share a brother. It's beyond us. It's bigger than who we are. Therefore, this brotherly love is not natural. It's supernatural. And its chief concern is the spiritual health of the saints, not to the neglect of temporal needs. Its chief concern is spiritual health. It's clearly commanded elsewhere. 1 Peter 2.17, love the brotherhood. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. 
Let this, this thing, this brotherly love, be an ongoing habit among you saints. That's what is being said there. If we're going to obtain and maintain unity, then we have to develop in ourselves and act toward one another with brotherly love. A spirit-born affection for one another, stemming from our shared relationship to God as Father and Christ as brother, producing in us a willingness to give our lives for the well-being of their souls. Brotherly love. Now, I want to apply that. You say, okay, we hear you saying brotherly love, but I want to get, we want to put feet on this. So I've broken up the application into two parts, two main sections. You say, I want to obtain and maintain unity. I'm sold. Shut up and take my money. What do I do? Well, I'm saying here, based on the words of Peter, have brotherly love for one another. Exercise brotherly love. Love the brotherhood. Love one another with brotherly affection. Let brotherly love continue. You say, okay, okay, I want to do that. I want to cultivate brotherly love. I want to exercise brotherly love. Tell me what to do. How do I do that? Two things. Number one, understand the relationship that we have. You must understand the relationship. And then secondly, you must act upon that relationship. Understand the relationship and then act upon the relationship. We, so we begin with understanding the relationship that we have with one another. In other words, we start with the doctrine that informs our practice. We have to begin there. We all need to be informed of what the Bible says about our relationship to one another. But also, we need to be convinced of it. Not just know it, but you need to be convinced and convicted of what Scripture teaches. Listen, we are brothers and sisters. That's what the Bible teaches. We are. Are you convinced? Are you convicted? That's the question. You will not exercise brotherly love until you're convinced of what the Bible teaches. Now, in defining brotherly love, I said that it stems from our shared relation to God as Father and Christ as brother. To put it another way, brotherly love stands upon one chief and great gospel doctrine that we call the doctrine of adoption. The doctrine of adoption. We've been adopted into God's family. What does that make us? That makes us siblings. Right? This, this is the foundation. Let me read to you from our confession of faith. This doctrine of adoption. All those that are justified, God vouchsafed in and for the sake of His only Son, Jesus Christ... To make partakers of the grace of adoption by which we are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. Have his name put upon them. Receive the spirit of adoption. Have access to the throne of grace with boldness. Are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. Are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father. Yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Now, we should all greatly rejoice in the doctrine of adoption. Many have said, and I, I tend to agree, that this is the, the apex and pinnacle of Christian salvation. Some have, some have said, you don't understand New Testament Christianity until you understand adoption. We've been taken into the family of God with Him as our Father. We glory in our adoption as sons. But how often do we consider the associated truth? That everybody who's been adopted is a sibling. We're brothers and sisters in the same family. Yeah. Right? And this might be one, of, one time where I could say as, as we're going through this, I do want you to think about yourself, but I also want you to think about the people in this room. Think about the people, the, the other members of our church, specifically. They are partakers of the grace of adoption. They enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. They have God's name put upon them. Your brothers and sisters here have access to His throne. They can cry, Abba, Father, just like you can. They're pitied, 
provided for, protected, and chastened by God as a father. They'll never be cast off. They are sealed to the day of redemption. They will inherit the promise of eternal salvation right beside you, your brothers and sisters. Now, how do you think that you should think about them if this is the case? How should we treat one another if this is the case? You see how, how this sort of lays a foundation. It doesn't make much sense for us to glory in our personal adoption as sons, but then fail to realize the people around you who have received the same blessing and have been made your brothers and sisters. Adoption. Now, there are many aspects to this doctrine, and these all influence our practice of brotherly love. So I'm, I'm going to open up these a little further. I'm just going to walk through some of these things that we, according to the doctrine, the biblical doctrine of adoption, these things that we share. Because of this wonderful doctrine of adoption, the members of this church, again, I'm thinking exclusively, but all Christians, each of us and all of us are the children of God. God's children. John writes in John 1, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Your, your brothers and sisters have been born of God. He performed a supernatural work upon them called regeneration. He's taken them into His family. 1 Thessalonians 1.4 For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. God chose your brothers and sisters in eternity to be His children. They are beloved of God, your fellow saints. God loves them. Yeah. We rejoice. God loves me. But he also loves them too. Yeah. We're children of God. Being His children means that each one of us has God as his or her father. So that when you think about or speak to or talk about or pray for one of your fellow church members, you are dealing with someone who has Almighty God as their Father. <clears throat> Christ commanded us that when we pray, we are to say, Our Father. Our Father sees, our Father knows, each one of us has God for a Father. When you pray for or about a fellow saint, you're speaking to their Father about them. And when you think thoughts in your mind about a fellow church member, your father hears them all. But you know who else hears them all? Their father. Their father hears what you're thinking, what you're saying. Jesus said to Mary in John 20, 17, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. Our God is our father. Our father is our God. And our Father is also the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. well, what does that mean? Not only is God our Father, but Christ is our elder brother. Mm -hmm. Your fellow church members have Jesus Christ as their big brother. <coughs> Matthew 12, 50, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In that great judgment scene of Matthew 25, Christ says, Matthew 25, 40, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. He's not ashamed, even in the judgment, to call them brothers. Hebrews 2, 11. He's proud to take your fellow church members as his brothers. Christ is so fully committed to us as our elder brother that acts of kindness and brotherly love exercised toward your fellow saints and your fellow church members, He takes them as if you had done them to Him. What you did to them, you did to me. Your love to them, He takes as love to Him. Your devotion to them, He takes as devotion to Himself. He's a good big brother. Yeah. We who are saints here all share a father and share a brother. We, we don't... We don't view each other merely as fellow human beings, fellow American citizens, or even fellow church members. There's more to it than that. We have a father and a brother that we share. We are spiritual siblings. Spiritual siblings. 
Matthew 28 or 23, 8. You are, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, Jesus said. You all are my brothers and sisters. I'm your brother. We have a father. We share a father. We share an elder brother. You can look around the room here. You can see we've, we've got a, a rather large family. That means we've got a lot of responsibility. A way to treat one another as siblings. We share God's spirit, the family image. Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We, we share the family seal, the family crest, the spirit of God. Now, we're not all equal in, in measure of the Spirit's gifting or work of grace. But you have to remember that your brothers and sisters have the same access to the same infinite and unlimited teaching and guidance and conviction and power of the Holy Spirit that you have. We share God's Spirit. Since we're all children of the same Father and siblings of the same Christ, we all have access to the same Father. We have access to God's throne. Speaking of the, the Jewish and Gentile believers, Paul says in Ephesians 2.18, For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The Father. He says we are members of the same household. We have access to our Father. Now imagine kids playing at home. Dad's somewhere else working and one of them gets upset with the other one. What do they do? It's like a race to get to Dad. I'm going to go tell. No, no, you're not. I'm going to get there first. They both have access. There's no favoritism here. Your dad's my dad, and my dad's your dad, and we're running to see who can get to, the, to dad first. Your brothers and sisters here, we all have access to the same Father, the same throne of grace. And there are no favorites in his kingdom. Your fellow saints have access through Jesus Christ to the same throne of grace as you do. Their prayers can go as high as your prayers. Their supplication have the same ears or the same ear as your supplications. And our Father is no more inclined to your prayers than He is theirs, all things being equal. We share access to our Father's throne. We're all enabled to cry that same cry of selfless dependence upon God that Christ Himself uttered in Gethsemane. Abba, Father. Romans 8.15, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When you have a need, you can cry to your Father. When they have a need, they can cry to their Father, who is your Father. God it. We're all pitied, protected, and provided for by the same Father. 1 Peter 5, 9 says, Resist Him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We have brothers and sisters suffering around the world. We have brothers and sisters even closer to home who suffer just like we do. The closer in, in geographical proximity we get, the, 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 the more nearly we share the same kinds of things. We live in the same society, in the same culture. We have these sufferings, and our Lord pities and protects us in sufferings. The Apostle John called himself our brother and partner in the tribulation. We all have afflictions, and we all are called to patiently endure afflictions. And your Father, who cares for you and walks with you tenderly through suffering, does the exact same thing to your fellow church members, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Same Father, same pity, same protection, same provision. Matthew 6, 31 and 32. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's going to provide. He's going to take care of you. Amen. And them. He's their Father too. You share a Father. He intends to provide for them just as He intends to provide for you. Maybe not the exact same things in the same way. Same Father. Same willingness to provide. We're all chastened by the same Father. This is one of those things that siblings that grow up in, in a household have an experience of that they know nobody else knows, right? You grow up and you can say, hey, nobody else knows what that stick and that man's hand feels like on my bottom except me and her, me and him. We, we both, we experience that chastening that other people can't 
bear witness to in the same way. Well, it's just like that with our Heavenly Father. We've been, we are chastened by the same Father. Hebrews 12, 7 says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Has God disciplined you as a son? Well, your brothers and sisters here can relate to that. Because that's what he does to his sons. Did he do it to you and for you because you were a son? Yes. Well, that's why he's doing it for them. Because they're a son. You can, we can look at one another in our, in our chastening times and we can say, I see that you are a legitimate son. And brother, I've been there. I know what it's like. But we have a good father. He chastens his children. And we're all heirs of the same inheritance as sons. Romans 8, 17 says, If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And Hebrews 3, 1 says, Therefore, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling, the saints of God in this place will share in the heavenly inheritance forever. Your brothers and sisters here, they're going to be with you in heaven unless their profession is false. You will be with them in glory unless your profession is a false one. Now think about this. Do all of these truths not help you see how much we have in common with one another? Really, if we're thinking otherworldly, if we're thinking spiritually, it would almost be safe to say we have everything in common. Everything. Some details might be different here and there. But broadly speaking, eternally speaking, we have everything in common. Everything. How much should this stir up sympathy in our hearts for one another? We have everything in common. I've been where you've been. If I haven't been where you've been, I'm going where you are. At some point, we can sympathize with one another. How should we think of one another? How should we pray for one another? How should we speak of and to one another? We share a father and a brother and a spirit. We have access to that same father. We cry out in selfless dependence upon the same father. We're pitied and protected and provided for by the same father. Disciplined by the same father. Headed to the same eternal inheritance under the same father. We're brothers and sisters. That's the doctrine. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe these things are true? Do you really believe we have everything in common? If so, then we have to act like brothers and sisters. Act like it. That's the second point. If you believe it, then brotherly love is just acting like you believe it. Acting upon what is what is said here. So that's the second heading. Act upon the relationship that we have with one another. In light of that shared relation that we have to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the indwelling spirit of adoption, there is a certain and peculiar way that we must treat one another, and that's called brotherly love. It's brotherly love. love brotherly love is action toward one another based on this relationship we all share to God. Brotherly love. So what does it look like? And I've described it this way because oftentimes when we think of love and warmth and affection and tenderness and those things, we think of only good, happy, positive things. But brother love might not always be good, happy, positive things. Brotherly love is acting toward one another based on the doctrine of adoption that we share all these things in common. Then you act and sometimes it's warm and fuzzy and delightful and sometimes it's not so warm and fuzzy and delightful. But it's brotherly love nonetheless. So what does this look like? Well... I want to say first, as I said last week, that it begins with the inner man. It has to be affectionate. It begins with the heart. And nothing is more clear in any use of the affections, I think nothing should be more clear to us, than that we have to be effectually taught by God. Uh, These things have to be worked in us by the Holy Spirit. Paul said to to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. God has to teach it. God has to work it in you. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to give you some, I want to give you a bunch more scriptures to help, 
But if the Spirit doesn't come and if God doesn't teach the heart, it's just going to be words. Right? So we've got to think. We've got to seek the help of the Holy Spirit. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to work in us those gracious affections which are necessary for true brotherly love. Again, not just a willingness to do. Not just a willingness to do. There are men all over this county that when they die, people will say, he'd give you the shirt off his back and he's in hell that moment. He was a nice guy. I'm not saying just a willingness to do. I'm saying real spirit-wrought affections in the heart for the people of God because they are the people of God. A heartfelt desire for an interest in their spiritual well-being. What Peter calls in 1 Peter 1.22, a sincere brotherly love. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Sincere. That's the opposite of hypocritical. Sincere. It's real. It's not fake. Genuine. Not pretended. It's for their good. Not for your glory and your triumph over them or your, your accolades. But for their good. And we're to love one another earnestly. Fervently, zealously, urgently. Those are synonyms for, synonyms for that word. From a pure heart. Not for selfish gain. Out of love and worship to God. These, This one, this is a child of my God. This is a, a son of my father. I'm going to treat them the way I ought to treat them. Knowing that relationship. So it begins with the inner man and understanding... What the scriptures teach, but also having the the effectual teaching of God shaping our affections for one another. But then out of that fervent and sincere love, there are things that we are to do. Evidences and fruits of the inward brotherly love. And scripture is full of instruction here. I've chosen 12 brief points. Don't get nervous. Twelve brief points. As we read through these and as I read the scripture references, I want you to listen for the language of child, children, brother, father. The filial language. Twelve things that we do. Manifest brotherly love. Number one, we are first to receive one another. Matthew 18, 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And you know that when the Lord speaks in the Gospels very often of a child or children or his brothers, he's speaking of other saints, those of childlike faith, a child of God. He says, whoever receives one of these receives me. To receive means to welcome and accept as a brother. And so we ought to receive with open arms and glad hearts, each one of our brothers and sisters in the name of Christ. Not just because we like their personality, not because we have other shared interests, but just because they're a Christian. You're a brother. I accept you. You're in. You're in the club, bud. Accept. Receive one another is the first one. That leads to number two. We are to have open hearts toward one another. Open hearts. 1 John 3.17 says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? In this passage, to close the heart is to shut off the flow of genuine love that would have been manifested in meeting temporal needs. You've got a need. I'm going to close my heart off so that I don't help you. John says, how can the love of God dwell in that person? That, that's, that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. Well, what's the opposite of that? Open the heart. Open the valve of love so that things can pour out of you toward one another. Open your heart to your brothers and sisters. Welcome them into your heart and into your affections. Give them open access to your love and devotion and service. Negatively, do not close yourself off. Do not... Clam up. Do not retract into your shell of morbid self-obsession and introspection. Don't do that. And, and, and put on, you know, over the 
uh, modern moniker, uh, introvert. I'm an introvert. God didn't, God didn't give us that word. He said, let brotherly love continue. Open your hearts toward one another. In other words, you've got to get over it. Get over yourself and open yourself up to others. Don't do that. Now, oftentimes, this is what we do. We close ourselves off to one another because we're afraid to get too comfortable around one another. Because once we start getting comfortable around one another, they might find out that you're a sinner just like they are. And you've worked far too long and too hard to, to build a reputation that, that says the opposite. Well, if I, if I let my guard down, if I open up too much, they might find out I'm a sinner. That's silly. Now, the flip side of that is that some of us do manifest such a hypocritical and fault-finding spirit when we talk about people when they're not present that those who are present are afraid to open up because we're, what are they going to say about me when I'm not around? And so that you close up, and I would say sometimes for good reason. Brothers, this ought not to be. We should open our hearts to one another and, and exhibit such a compassion for one another that there's a comfort in knowing I'm in the presence of my brothers and sisters. It's sad that most of us are never more comfortable than we're around our biological siblings and never more uncomfortable than we're around our spiritual siblings. We, 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 just, we, we don't know how to act. They might find out I'm a sinner. Or if I open up, I know how they talk about people. I don't want them saying those things about me. So we just shut off. We can't do that. Open your hearts toward one another. Amen. Receive one another. Open your hearts toward one another. Number three, spiritual siblings get special treatment. Spiritual siblings get special treatment. First Timothy 6.2 says, Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since they, those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. In other words, our brothers and sisters do get something like a special treatment. Not that we have the, the liberty to be poor servants to people who are non-Christians. But when it comes to serving our brothers and sisters, it's all the more. It's even more so. Why? At least in this. That we take heart... Or take to heart the fact that when I serve a brother, I'm serving a child of my father. That the Lord is using me to be a blessing to a brother or a sister, to one of his children. This one is beloved of God. I want to serve him all the more, at least in my intentions. Our brotherhood should compel us to love and serve and care for one another beyond our normal concern for others who are not Christians. We should care for the lost. We should care. We should serve well. We should be the best workers everywhere, the, the best across the board, in every character trait, in every interaction with the lost. But when it comes to our brothers and sisters, it's even more, at least in the intentions and understanding of our minds, and we could call that special service. Number four, we are to encourage one another. We show our love for one another as spiritual siblings by encouraging one another, especially in matters of our shared faith. Hebrews 10 verse 19 begins, Therefore, brothers, and then later on in verse 24, he says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Who's doing it? It's the brothers. Us brothers encouraging one another. We're brothers and sisters. We have shared loves, and we have agreement on good works. Hopefully, what you love is what I love. What you think is a good work, I think is a good work. I can come alongside you and spur you and encourage you into that as a brother. One way we extend brotherly love is by encouraging one another as siblings in love toward one another and our Father and in the works our Father has given us to do. Imagine... Some children trying to get a, some decorations for a birthday party set up. Their dad's about to come home. And maybe the oldest is putting the final touches on the decorations. And dad's pulling down the driveway. And the younger ones yell to the oldest, Quick! Dad's coming! Hurry! Get it finished! They're encouraging them in the work. 
They're spurring them on because they know if they get finished, their victory, their accomplishment is ours. We all get the, the, the decoration set up for dad. Encouraging one another. And we are to do the same thing. Encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. We are to say one to one another, quick, to the work. Our elder brother is coming. Keep your hand to the plow. Don't give up. Your victory, your conquering is as two victories to me and, your, and two conquerings to me. Keep up the good work. He's coming. We encourage one another in the faith. Amen. Number five, we admonish one another. Admonition is like encouragement except it has the, the angle of warning. The encouragement with a sharp edge, you might say. When it came to the idle brother in Thessalonica, Paul said... Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Warn him, keeping in mind your shared relationship to the Father. Come on, man. You know what our Father requires. Get to work. You know the rules. Keep up the good work. We should be willing to warn one another as those who can sympathize with the dangers and consequences and disciplines of disobedience, kind of like an older brother who looks at his younger sibling and he says, You don't want to do that. Well, who are you? Well, listen, I'm not dad, but i done that before. And I remember what happened to me. I'm just trying to help you. I wouldn't do that if I were you. And then they just have to step back. That's admonition. I'm warning you. I've got the same father. I know how he's going to respond. We should be willing to warn our brothers and sisters. All of this assumes that we are concerned for their well-being. We don't want them to fall. We want them to grow. And we all bear the weight of these responsibilities. Number six, the sixth way that we show brotherly love is by helping one another with specks in our eyes. Specks in the eyes. Matthew 7, 5, our Lord said, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of whose eye? Your brother's eye. Our Lord here is not forbidding that we help one another with sin, specks. He's, he's not forbidding that. He's actually encouraging that. But he's also saying you need to do it having cleared your own eyes first. Don't do it in a hypocritical way. Now, for those of you who are not in uh, construction or timber work, a speck is really small. A log is really big. Okay? He's, he's saying you want to get those little specks out of, out of people's eyes. Okay? Get that big log out of your eye first. And then you'll be able to see a little better. To do that. He's, he's saying don't be a hypocrite about it. But he's not saying don't do it. Just don't be a hypocrite about it. Your brothers and sisters, especially in this church, have been given to you to help you with the specks in your eyes. To help you see your sin. Little things that you might not see. You've, we've all been there. You see somebody, you say, you've got something in your eye. Can you not see that? They can't even see it. They're, they're blinking. I don't see anything. And you see something in their eye. That's the, that's the picture here. Our brothers and sisters are given to help in that way with regard to sins. Now, some of you don't believe you have specks, but you do. Some of you don't believe that anyone else's eyes here are actually clear enough to help you with their specks. Sermon Audio's got plenty of clear eyes, and YouTube's got plenty of clear, clear eyes, and Facebook's got plenty of clear eyes, but nobody here has got eyes clear enough to help me with, with my specs. And the problem with that is Christ has given you these people. Yeah. Uh, he's given us one another. And th the reason we often think that way is because you're blinded by specs in your eyes. To love as a brother means that we're willing to help one another even when it comes to pointing out sin. Now we have to be careful here because the tendency of of most of us, or at least many of us, is to begin to think that we are the, the, the ecclesiastical spiritual optometrist. Well, we have 20-20 vision, and God sent me here to help everyone with their eyes. And so every conversation and every interaction, it, from your perspective, you're holding up the, the sheet. Read this line. Okay, read this line. Read this line. We're analyzing and critiquing and judging every word, every phrase, every sentence. The, the background in history. Did, 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 did I hear him say this thing? And if he said this, it probably means this, which means he's doing this. Caught him. Ecclesiastical optometrist. That, that's not brotherly love. That's, that's sibling rivalry. That's just always trying to have a one-up. 
always trying to look around the corner and see to catch somebody in a sin. That's not what we're talking about here. Brotherly love is not hypocritical, but it does seek to help one another. Let me ask this. When was the last time that you, you left an interaction with the saints or a saint and you knew as you left, maybe even in the moment, but as you knew you left, God just used that interaction, whether it was direct speech, whether it was some other avenue, the interaction, as you walked away, you know God just used that to reveal a sin in my heart. And you could say, that brother, that sister humbled me. You could say, Lord, how have I been so blind? And yet that one word they said, that one conversation brought it to light. And I'm so humiliated. The Lord does that to His people. Some of you can't remember the last time that you experienced anything like that because you are the spiritual optometrist. You believe that God has given you for the sole purpose of revealing specks in other people's eyes, but your vision is 2020. So every time you leave, you're thinking, I'm glad I really helped everybody today. Man, I bet they're glad I showed up. Rather than, oh Lord, you used them to convict me of my own sins. Remember what we said about our brothers and sisters. They have the Spirit too. They have sight. And very often, just like stuff in our own eyes, they can see what we can't see. We have to be open to that. Number seven. Resolve never to stumble one another. Resolve never to stumble or put a stumbling block before a brother. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. We love one another as brothers and sisters, and we, we show it when we say this, no matter what, I'm not going to do anything that could become a hindrance to their faith. And so we have to resolve. These are my brothers and sisters. Their father is my father. Their elder brother is my elder brother. Their spirit is my spirit. My father, by his spirit, is working in them to sanctify them because they are the apple of his eye. And I resolve never to do anything to hinder that work. And we have to keep in mind, parents, parents, very often we think only ecclesiastically, the other church members not in my biological family, but you might have children who've been born again of the Spirit of God. Maybe they're not, they've not been brought into the fold of the church yet, but they're a spiritual brother, they're a spiritual sister. Parents, we have to resolve, I will do nothing to hinder or stumble, potentially hinder, potentially stumble the faith of my child. I will only ever do, do that which I know will be of edification, that will thrust them upward, not pull them backwards. You can put stumbling blocks before your children. We have to resolve, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do only that which will build them up and encourage them and push them forward. Romans 14, 15, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Resolve never to stumble one another. Number eight, settle disputes quickly. Settle disputes quickly. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Do it quickly. Settle disputes. We have the same father, the same brother, the same spirit, same worship, same meeting time, same meeting place. It makes no sense for us to draw out disputes so that what we have in common in spiritual things becomes to us like meat tainted with the disease of disagreement. Or sin. All of it loses its savor. All of these things we have in common. And they're sour to me. Because my brother has, a, has something against me. Or I have sinned against a brother. Christ says resolve it quick. Get it out of the way. And move on. Don't let bitterness grow up. Show the kindness of brotherly love. And settle disputes quickly. Number nine. Forgive one another. 
Matthew 18.35, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, toss them in the, the prison where the torturers are, if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. He or she is your brother and sister. If they sin against you, guess what they are now? Your brother and sister. It hasn't changed. They're still a brother. What do you do? Forgive them. Now someone might ask, well, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? I think the Lord would say, no, 70 times seven. As many times as it takes. Keep forgiving until there's not a need to forgive anymore, which means you're in glory. Forgive. You show brotherly love by being ready and willing to forgive one another. Number 10. The 10th way that we exercise brotherly love and show that we really do believe what our Father has said about us and our relationship to each other is that we refuse to speak evil of or against a brother or sister. Never speak against a brother or sister. James says in James 4.11, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. Matthew 5.22, I say that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Romans 14.10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? Never speak evil against a brother. This speaking might be behind closed doors. It might be within a small circle. It might even be the speaking of your own heart to yourself about a brother or a sister. Their father heard what you said. Their father heard what you thought. You cannot love your brother when you're speaking evil against them, judging them, insulting them, even if it's in your own heart. Again, their father hears every word of it. Now, we live in the day of social media where we can know of brothers and sisters without actually knowing them. We just know of them. And very often, well, say we we also live in a day of of popular uh, public apologetics and discernment and just the the entertainment of the public back and forth, like like Christians slung in the Colosseum. We just like to cheer and watch. We're not involved. It's not us. I don't know that guy. And I don't know that guy. Never met him. Never met him. But boy, I love to watch him go out. We 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 live in that culture. And very often we find ourselves speaking evil of and judging our brothers and sisters in Christ, in our hearts or in our speech. A brother for whom Christ died, just because we do like the other person that they're opposed to. We like this man. He criticizes this guy. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go after this guy just to show which team I'm on. We join the team of our choice and we publicly speak evil of and judge other Christians. And many times it's based on lies, it's based on slander, it's based on information we aren't even interested in conform or confirming ourselves. We don't care. We just like the meat. More red meat. Throw it. That's not that's not loving. That's not brotherly love. I'm quite convinced that today's shirts and skins Christianity, especially amongst the so-called Reformed, is a stench in God's nostrils. For those of you who don't know what shirts and skins is, when you're playing basketball, a group of guys playing basketball, we're going to play teams. Who's going to be on which team? Well, this, these guys and this guy. Well, how do we know which team is which? Well, this group are going to take their shirts off. So the, the ones with the shirts off, that's this team. Shirts on, that's this team. Shirts and skins. That's the way most of Christianity is in, in our day, public Public social media, putrid Christianity, shirts and skins. Which team are you on? Well, I'm on this team. Which team are you on? Well, I'm on this team. I, I believe God hates it. I believe it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Never speak evil against a brother. But you know what we do to justify it? Well, I'm just not so sure he's a Christian. I don't think he's a Christian. Oh, so now you can say whatever you want? Slander people just because you've judged them? 
That's not right. Number 11, pray for one another. Pray for one another. Maybe those people we speak evil against, we should just pray for them. That wouldn't get likes, though. And that wouldn't get shares. We just prayed for them. Nobody's liking and sharing our prayers. Pray for one another. One of the premier ways that we exhibit brotherly love is through praying for our brothers and sisters. 1 John 5, 16, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. Now the issue here is sin. We should pray for one another in areas of sin, struggles of sin. But I would say... From other texts elsewhere, we should pray for our brothers and sisters in all things. When you pray for a brother or sister, you're going to their father, who means to do them good. You're also going to your father, who means to do you some good. Imagine a child runs to mom because their sibling has gotten hurt. They, they pray to their mom, Mom, come help! Who wins in that situation? Both siblings win. The sibling who called out the prayer wins. They got their mother's ear and their, their, their prayer was answered. And the sibling who was in, injured got their mother's attention and their help. They both win. Both children get a blessing. And this, was, this is what happens when we pray for our brothers and sisters. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. And then number 12, lastly, lay down your life for one another. Summing all this up as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be ready and willing to lay down our lives for one another. 1 John 3:16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, the brethren. Your fellow church members, unless their profession of faith is false, Christ died for them. Our elder brother bore their name on his chest as he entered into the furnace of God's fury on the cross. He bore their name on his chest as he entered into the heavenly holy place with his own blood. He bears their names on his shoulders now as he lives to make intercession for them. Now, if he's done that for them, what ought you to do? What ought to be your attitude? What ought to be your, your lifestyle toward other Christians? If he would do that for them, then what better way to serve him and love them than to be willing to give your life for them? Not to make atonement for sins, but to serve them and help them in life. Live and do all that you can in service to your brothers and sisters. Even unto death, pour out yourself. For their growth in grace and faith and endurance, what better testimony would it be for some of us to say, I spent my whole life carrying my brothers and sisters on my shoulders. That's all I did. He never made a name for himself. Why? Because he was carrying his brothers and sisters. Be willing to lay down your life for one another. Look around at your fellow saints today as we fellowship and, and eat together and spend some time together. Just look around at one another, your brothers and sisters. And remember what your heavenly Father has said about them. He who touches you touches the apple of his eye. It's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing to interact with the people of God. Whether it's just hearing preaching or, the, or evangelism or just in private conversations. Let's pray. We are sinners. And we deserve judgment. We deserve an eternity of hell. But Christ has come. And Christ has given his body. And, and he tells us that when his, his body is broken, that's for us. That's his body for us. So when the bread is broken, we are reminded that when we ought to have been broken... And crushed. Christ was broken. And Christ was crushed in our place. As we come to the table, we, we come for grace. We don't come to make a statement about former grace received. We come to get new grace from the only one who can give any grace, which is Jesus Christ.
Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. If we have sinned and we think that eating a bite of bread or drinking a cup of juice or wine is going to make an atonement for sins, we're fooled. We come to the Lord's table to look beyond it to the, the only Savior for sins. If you're not a member of this church, you don't need the bread and the cup to look beyond it to Christ. You're a sinner. There's only one fountain. There's only one source of grace, and that's Christ. And his body and blood given for us. So as the elements are passed, we'll contemplate these things and then we'll come to the Lord's table together.